And on a beautiful night here at the Coliseum, the lights have taken full effect. Welcome to Taking Effect, an Oakland A's podcast with Ken Korak. Now, with an inside look at the A's, here's Ken. The interleague series between the A's and the Reds continues a run of matchups for Bob Melvin against managers who've meant a great deal to him in his career. The Brewers' Craig Council freely admits he's a Bowmel protege, and the Reds' Brian Price will even Melvin's wife Kelly concedes they must be brothers who were separated at birth. On the surface, it looks like Melvin and Price are a natural fit, and they are, and that their relationship must go back decades, but it doesn't. Although they both grew up in the Bay Area, played at Cal, and then in the pros, and they have common interests that go far beyond the diamond. Bo Mel is 54, Brian Price is 53, but they had never met until Melvin became the manager of the Mariners in 2003. Price was already there as a holdover from Lou Pinella's staff, but as they will tell you in the following interviews, the bond they developed was secured almost instantly, and the friendship has endured even though they haven't worked together since 2009. I spoke to both Melvin and Price for this piece. We'll start with Bo Mel and then Price, the interview with Brian taking place before the A's met the Reds this spring in Arizona. Spending time with Brian Price was also the renewal of a friendship for me. My first year broadcasting minor league baseball was in 1984 in Ronard Park. Price joined that team as a pitcher fresh out of Cal, and he helped the Redwood Pioneers to one of baseball's best records that year. I've always found him to be one of the most engaging, insightful, and genuine people I've known in the game. So with the A's in the midst of a serious round of interleague play this June, we present Brian Price and Bob Melvin, Bo Mel talking about Price and Brian talking about Melvin in this edition of Taking Effect. Well, Bob, uh, you've become the manager of the Mariners, and Brian Price is already there as the pitching coach. And I would have thought, well, you guys had to have known each other. How did it come about that he stayed on as your pitching coach there? Well, pretty pretty eerie that I didn't know him. I mean, it, it's it's almost impossible for us not to meet at some point. Went to the same university that I did. We lived in Scottsdale at the same time together for a long time. Grew up in the Bay Area for, you know, as kids. So uh, pretty odd that I didn't know him. Uh, but the first time I went and I took him out to, to lunch to to talk to each other and it felt like I've known him for 15 years and and really he was almost defensive in the fact because they had they had uh, interviewed him as well for the manager's position he just wanted to make sure I was okay with him and and uh, you know to this day one of my closest friends how long does it take or did it take for you to develop the trust in him as the pitching coach because that's so important that that dynamic is positive. You know what, probably two weeks into spring training, watching his routine, how he got the pitchers ready, and that's what I told him. I go, look, I'm not I'm not a micromanager. I mean, I, I look at you as basically a pitching manager. You get them ready, you put them on the, on the routines, and, and what we do during spring training is going to be your format. Once we get into the season, we'll make pitching changes together, and it was seamless from day one. How normal is that that a manager doesn't always have the opportunity to hire all of his coaches. Well, it just depends. I mean, they had a pretty good thing going over there, too, in Seattle, and Brian was so well thought of, and, and like I said, it took all of about 10 minutes for me to realize he was the right guy for the job. So, um, 
you know, I got to bring in a couple of coaches there, but I think that the continuity of having some of the coaches that were already there was important for a team that was, you know, played together for so long. Did you guys spend a lot of time together away from the ballpark? We did, uh, you know, just getting to know each other and, and uh, you know, we got a lot of the same hobbies and so forth too. So, you know, you always find somebody, you know, one or two guys that you're most comfortable with and that you hang around with off the field, and he was definitely that guy for me. You had a really good club that first year with starting pitchers who pitched all the time. Yeah, and it was, I think, there only happened one other time in modern baseball that all five starters, you know, took their turn, and, and we only used five starters that year, and that had a lot to do with Brian, and Brian keeping them ready and keeping them focused and physically making sure they were ready to go. Uh, very unique that that happened. What do you think made him such a great pitching coach? You know what? I think it's his experiences throughout the game, whether it was in the minor leagues. You know, he went, he, he was a pitching coach in every classification, different organizations. I mean, he's just really well-rounded once he got to the big leagues and then, you know, got to manage, uh, be the pitching coach for Lou Pinello, I'm sure was was great experience for him too. But just a very respected guy from the time that you you, you talk to him for five minutes you realize how respected he is. Uh, a lot of continuity in what he does and a lot of conviction in what he does. And, uh, you know, he's gone on to be a, a really good manager at this point. But as far as pitching coaches go, boy, I'm lucky to have had a Brian Price and a Kurt Young, uh, you yeah. know, in my career. And Brian pitched for the first team that I broadcast for full-time in the minor leagues up in Roner Park in the Cal League in 84. Now you go to Arizona. And he winds up as your pitching coach there. How did that come about? Well, he had one more year left in Seattle. If we could have done it right away, we'd have, we'd have gotten him over in Arizona. Um, you know, he wasn't going to ask out. Uh, he was going to honor his commitment. But I think it was uh, a foregone conclusion once his last year in Seattle was he was going to end up in Arizona with us. When you got let go in Arizona, uh, he made the decision to resign his position as the pitching coach, which I think raised a lot of eyebrows around baseball. And he said, you know, I just don't feel comfortable. I don't agree with the move, and I don't feel comfortable staying here. So better for me to step down. How did you view that when he did that? It was pre- pretty humbling. That that I mean, he he was walking away from his biggest payday. He really got a nice payday in Arizona as he should have, where he was in his career, and walked away from it in May, which is you know tells you a little bit about Brian right then and there. I remember when we were flying home, and I knew I was going to be let go. I actually knew for three days that I was going to be let go, and I told him, I said, look. He told me, he goes, I'm going to resign tomorrow. I go, no, you're not. I go, you know, we're close friends, and I've never asked you to do anything like I'm going to ask you today. When we get back there, please go home and sleep on it. Come back the next day and make your decision then. He goes, all right, I'll do that. And 10 minutes after we got back to the ballpark, he walked into Josh Burns' office, who was the general manager, and said, I'm resigning. Were you worried that that might have an adverse effect on his career? I was, and I think a lot of people around baseball probably looked at it and, you know, said, you know, where is this going to go? And then all he has to do is interview for one other job, and now he's got three other teams wanting him because of who he is and how good he is at his job. So, uh, you know, for a minute it did, but I, he wasn't too worried about it because I think he knows that, you know, deep down he'll never tell you openly, but he's one of the great pitching coaches really ever. What's it going to be like to manage against him? Well, you know, i lucky enough to have a couple spring training games against him to get that out of the way. You can't help but kind of focus in over there and see how he's doing things. And, you know, in a regular season game, I don't want to get caught up in that. I want to to, to understand how he's doing his job and what he's going to do with this team and, and manage my job and not try to get too transfixed with him over there. Um, 
and, and managing against them. It's going to be our team against their team, and really it comes down to the players. You're very intense like every manager, and you're a great competitor. You take the losses very hard. How important has it been over the years to have great friends in the game like Brian Price? You know, Phil Garner told me you'll never feel like anybody takes a loss as hard as you do as a manager. And, boy, I'll tell you what, day one I really felt that. But Brian Price took every loss I felt like as hard as I did and was there for me, whether it was support, whether it was a sounding board, whatever. I'm glad he's managing now because he deserves to be a manager in the big leagues. He's that good a baseball man. But if anybody was in there, you know, stuck their nose in there with me each and every day, it was Brian Price. Well, Brian, let's go back with your relationship with Bob Melvin because this is interesting because you both went to Cal. You're almost the same age. You're both from the Bay Area. You're a Marin guy. He's from Palo Alto. But you didn't know each other back then. You know, we didn't. I mean, our lives almost paralleled one another, yet we never... We're on the same summer league baseball team. We never played against each other in an all-star tournament. We just uh, we missed each other by a year at Cal. Bob played for the 1980 Cal team that finished third in the College World Series, and then he went uh, transferred out so he could sign and eventually signed with the, uh, with the uh, Detroit Tigers. And uh, I entered as a freshman, and he was on his way out. So we missed there at Cal and then never ran across each other in, in professional baseball in the major leagues or minor leagues until he was hired for a job that I had also interviewed before, and that was for the managerial job with the Seattle Mariners, and uh, that's where our first, the first time we actually physically met. That's after the Lou Pinella era in Seattle. Take us through how that thing went, because you both interview for the same job. Bo Mel gets the job, but he keeps you as the pitching coach. Yeah, well, I had a year left on my contract, and, and I knew that when Lou went to Tampa that our front office told them that, you know, we want Brian to stay, and whoever's going to manage the club, uh, if it's not Brian, we're, we're going to want them to accept Brian as the pitching coach. And that was a little bit uncomfortable because, number one, I was interviewing for the managerial job they'd asked me to interview for, which I never thought in a million years they would ask me to interview. Did you want the job? I didn't even think about it. I had no idea. I mean, I, I, I was just getting my feet wet as a major league pitching coach. I had I'd done it for three years at that point, so I never saw that coming. But I said, you know, it's only going to be a good experience for me to go through with it, never thinking for a second that I really had a legitimate chance. And then I found that Bob Melvin was on the, the, the list of uh, managerial interviews, and uh, eventually he got the job, and he was told that, you know, you got to retain Brian uh, on your staff. And so Bob called me, and what initially started as a very uncomfortable call, I'm sure, for him because he thought that I was coveting the managerial position and that I didn't get it and I might be disgruntled, which I wasn't. I was thrilled that he got the job, and I made it very clear in our first conversation. I said, I know you don't know me at all, but you'll find that, you know, I'll be a, a – big ally and and a guy that you'll find trustworthy and and I will be pulling for your success. He has told me many times that you're pretty much his best friend in baseball. How long did it take for that relationship to develop or was it almost overnight where you felt, you know, we're really going to click? Bob Melvin is the manager, Brian Price is the pitching coach. Well, I think the, uh, the, the, the thing that made things, our relationship move quickly was because we both knew the Bay Area and loved the Bay Area. Um, and that, you know, we grew up, both grew up as, as fans of the Bay Area teams. We had a lot to talk about. We both went to a lot of Golden State Warrior games as kids. And, and there was just a lot of an immediate talking points. The, the other part to that was the fact that I think when he took the job with Seattle, he didn't get to bring over a bunch of friends onto the coaching staff. You know, he, he did some interviews, had to hire some people that he was asked to hire. Um, and... 
so I think he needed somebody on his staff to feel a connection with. And uh, so I think I filled that void. And he realized, I think, rather quickly that I had his back, that I wanted him to be successful. I wanted the, obviously wanted the Mariners. I was very invested in the organization. I'd been there a long time. And that, uh, that I wanted to do it together, and I wanted to do something and accomplish something special with Bob. That trust, Brian, is, I don't have to tell you, is so important between a pitching coach and a manager. And you're side-by-side side with Melvin during your time with Seattle and then with the Diamondbacks. So you really have to be almost on the same page. What is Bob Melvin like as a manager of pitchers and also working with a pitching coach? Well, he, he was a pleasure for me. You know, and I got mentored by a, a great manager in Lou Pinella. And he taught me how to utilize a staff and how to run a bullpen um, at the major league level, which I'd never done until I was hired in 2000. So when we got to 2003 with Bob, I had a really good feel. I knew everyone in the organization. I knew every pitcher in the organization, everyone in the system. So I, I could give him what I thought was a very uh, uh, valuable um, opinion on the guys that we had in camp and let him know where I thought they fit the most. And he had to put some faith in me. It's very, very important. It's an important relationship because it's very easy as a manager to really take over every part of the game. And one thing that I learned from Lou and even more, more so from Bob is that you really do have to defer responsibility to those guys. You have to allow the infield coach, coach the infielders, the pitching coach, coach the pitchers. And that was something that I learned a great deal from and helped me prepare for my managerial opportunity. Were there times when you really felt like you were thinking along with him? Yeah, you know, there was a, there's a connectivity. You know, we always sat down before the game and talked about the bullpen layout and what we hoped or anticipated we could get from the starter. Uh, the American League certainly is different because you don't have to worry about the pitcher batting. And so we really we didn't have to worry so much about uh, that issue, having a pinch hit. Uh, or worry about double switches. All we had to do was really focus on who was healthy, who was fresh, and how did we want to attack the lineup that we were facing. And uh, so when we went into the game, it was very easy. There was never really a great deal of debate. And a lot of times, you know, Bob would go out there and we'd talk about, you know, should we keep the starter in, should we take him out? And there were times where we disagreed and he'd make the final move or he would go with my recommendation. He always told me, Brian, whatever happens, the final decision is mine. You have no culpability. If something if you, that you suggest doesn't work out, it's still on me. Now, he becomes the manager of the Diamondbacks, and then you become his pitching coach there. Was that a seamless transition? Oh, it was great. It was great for me because at the time, you know, I, I chose to leave Seattle. Things were transitioning, and it was just to the point where I kind of felt like I was the old guard. I'd been there a long time, and I felt like the new voice for the pitchers would help, and a so fresh start for, for me would be beneficial. And so... Uh, Bob had been hired with the Diamondbacks a year before in 2005. So at the end of the 05 season, I resigned my position with Seattle. And I really wanted to entertain things that were out there and look at jobs all over the league if they were open and their teams were interested. So he was great. He said, hey, Brian, you know, we, we got a guy that we like here. But if, if uh, you know, if you want to come to Arizona, we'd, we'd be, I'd love to have you. And I'm going to keep the door open for you, when, you know, if and when you make that decision. Then eventually... He gets replaced in 2009 by A.J. Hinch, and you resigned at that point, where my understanding is you could have stayed on as the pitching coach. I think to some people around baseball, that was not only an interesting move, but maybe a shocking move on your part. How did you see that playing out? It wasn't, it, it, believe me, it, 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 it may sound like it, it was not a difficult decision for me. The only thing that would have made it more difficult was would be if, if the Diamondbacks had hired, you know, uh, Chip Hale or 
um, Kurt Gibson to, to manage the club. AJ was, he was our farm director at the time. Uh, and, and so for me, I didn't have a, a connection to AJ in the same way I did with Chip and with, with Kurt Gibson. So when I realized that they were kind of going to turn things over, I felt, you know, I'm such a Bob Melvin fan. I just think he's, in, I've always believed in him as a person and as a manager. I didn't agree with the move. I was really disenfranchised by it and felt like, you know what, this guy brought me in. He, he, he gave me the chance to manage the pitchers to a certain degree. And, and he was a great friend, and I felt it was unfair, and I just wanted to support that. Did you worry that there might be ramifications around the game? I didn't. I, you know, I felt like I'm employable. I realized that sometimes, you know, you look at it and they, well, he quit. I did. I quit the organization. And that, I don't even want to say in retrospect, I don't have any re regrets. There might have been a few things that I said on my way out the door that I would pull back because it just turned the heat up underneath guys like Josh Burns and A.J. Hinch. And that, that isn't the right thing to do. I wouldn't that, want that to happen to me. So, but I think resigning was the right thing for me. I didn't feel like I would be able to support A.J. in the way he deserved to be supported by a pitching coach. He had a good guy, a Mel Sotomayor Jr. in the system. They were well-connected. He came in and did a fine job for A.J. But I, I just I didn't feel – I don't have any yeah. feelings that I made the wrong decision, and I really didn't worry in the big – I'd worked for the Mariners for 18 years. You know, I, that, that, as far as being a guy that's, that wants to stick with the process, I've been that guy. I've been a loyal employee. This was the one time where I just said, you know, this isn't going to work for me. Having known you for 32 years, Brian, I can certainly vouch for your character. I mean, there's never been any doubt about that for me. Now you're going to manage against Bo Mill. What's that going to be like? I mean, are you going to – do you think you'll have a feel for the kinds of things he's thinking over there, and he'll have a feel for what you're thinking about over in your dugout? Well, I, I guess we're going to find that out, you know, because this is uh, – the, the thing that's happened, you know, since 2009, May of 2009, Bob and I have not worked together. You know, and he moved – he was in – New York, and now he's since uh, moved uh, back to the Bay Area in Berkeley. Um, so we haven't been around each other as much. We obviously haven't competed against each other very much, other than spring training in a in, a, in an interleague game, uh, series in Cincinnati a couple years ago. So there's not a real understanding. I don't know how he's you know how how he manages. I know he does a lot of uh, matchup stuff. Um, we'll have an advance report, but it's certainly not the same as going right from being his pitching coach to managing against him. There's, there's some water under the bridge there, so I've got to refamiliarize myself with his style. Help me out here now. I mean, I've got to do the manager show with him every day, and I've got to deal with all of the superstitions. Did you find, I mean, there must have been some Melbourne superstitions back in your day with him. Well, I, I was 190 pounds when I started coaching, and then Bob comes in and, and he has these little Brock's candies that he brings with him, you know, and different ones, different candies have different powers, you know. And so, you know, so he got me hooked on these things, and we had these hard candies in the dugout, and he always had them in his pocket. And then he turned to me and said, hey, we need some runs, and he hands me a root beer barrel, you know, and you're going, come on, man. I said, you know, you look at Bob. I mean, he's this tall, sinewy, you know, athletic-looking guy, and I'm a guy who's just getting shorter by the minute and pudgier. It just didn't seem to be a good fit, but it was like, man, I'm all for winning, and I'm all for the team, so I ate every one of those candies he ever handed to me. I'm glad to hear that I'm not the only one. Thanks for the visit, Brian. Best of luck this year. Great to see you, Kevin.